0: well good morning church Dan, i'm so glad you made it back on stage in time that was awesome i'm scott weatherford we're really glad you're here uh, has it been a, a nice july for you so far Yeah, we've had a little rain thank you jesus right and, and you know there's so many things that kind of i just let you a little secret i'm a little bit sarcastic did y'all know that just a little bit sarcastic. And so many thoughts ran through my head this morning while we were singing. But I'm not going to share any of them. Would that be okay, Dan? <laughs> but I'm excited about what God is doing in the life of our church. I'm excited to see what God is doing, period, as he's moving in the world. This morning, as I was going out the door, I have a pretty regimented routine in the mornings The things I do because basically, I'm nothing more than a saved, hell-bound degenerate. Anybody? Yeah, okay, I see those hands. I see those head nodding. And so I need to spend some time with Jesus before I spend time with anybody else. Y'all, y'all, and sometimes Jesus says, you need to go back to bed, you know? But I have this routine. Anyway, I was on the way out this morning, and Tara caught me. She said, I want to read this to you. And it was a, an article by Carrie Newhoff, who is a, a pastor, and he's a Canadian. And uh, she said, share some things with me about the trends and things that are going to be influencing the church in this next year, and I thought it was just fascinating. One thing she said, she read to me, is that we have to get out of our box, that our church, we think this, if you show up at this building at a certain time, you can know Jesus, or you can be a part of our family. And is that not, that's not very good, is it? In this age of digital world, that people are joining us online. And if you're joining us online, welcome. And I wanna to speak to these folks for just a second. Y'all can kind of look back out there too, Adam. Uh, hey, you guys, if you're joining us online, once not you find two or three people to watch with you and start just kind of a viewing party and a gathering party and become a community with inside yourself. I realize you'll have to put on your pants if you do that. <laughs> but that would be so cool so you would have community. And I wanna say this to you and I think you guys would agree. We want you to be a part of our family, whether you're viewing online or where you're here live. Wouldn't you say that? Okay, that's most of them, so you're welcome, all right? So that just kind of inspired me to think about that our reach is bigger than we think it is, and that our reach is not about our significance. Our significance is found in our God, not in our crowd. Now, that's a big statement for a preacher, y'all. It's found in our God and, and, and not in our crowd, and I, I just love the fact that God wants us to attract people so they may hear of his gospel because God is not willing that any should perish but all come to repentance and our reach is far greater than you think. So just kind of have that in your mind as you think through as our digital content and our digital platform uh, expands all for King Jesus, all for King Jesus. Another thing that I was just overwhelmed with, I'm a little bit, okay, I'm gonna tell y'all another thing. Not only am I a little sarcastic, I'm a little skeptical. Anybody else like that? Okay, you bunch of liars! I know you are. I'm suspicious of you now. And wouldn't when last year when they said, "Oh, Wimberley's gonna have a Fourth of July parade," I thought this will be the dorkiest thing ever. And so nobody's gonna come. And I got there and I said to Tara, "I said, there's more people in the Dagup parade's gonna watch." Until I saw the crowd, and this year it was just overwhelming to me as I saw. I'm gonna say ministerially guessing. 15,000 people watched the Wimberley Parade this year. Just crazy. It was packed from Meemaw's all the way down to the bridge, and just unbelievable. And our float, our float won best category of Under the Stars of Texas. Isn't that awesome? Yeah, so kind of cool. Now, the Cowboy Church won uh, best float overall, we're coming for them next year. That's right, so... We're going to continue our series on hope, help the oppressed and plead for the exploited. And I realized, and I realized it's this, this last week, that this is a very intense series. I almost pulled it. I was planning this, this series, a plan our preaching year in advance. In fact, I'm working on next year already. Our teaching team will be talking about it next year already. And, and I uh, got some cool stuff kind of in the bucket for you guys. We won't go there. But I was looking at this and I'm going, I don't know if you guys are ready for this yet. And I started to pull it, preach something kind of easy. But I think we are ready for this. And I think God is stirring in us at the deepest level. And I think we need to pay attention. We talk about being a teaching church. But I want to throw out something for you. I want us to be, and I think God wants us to be, a church with great influence. You know, you can make an impression from a distance. But you influence up close. Isn't that Right? And I was thinking about this with my grandchildren today, that there's something wrong with me. I hate Disney World. Is there something wrong with me? I hate it. But now I I was thinking about taking my grandkids to Disney World, and I got excited about it. You know how love changes things, right? And I I want to influence them up close. I want to be involved in their lives. So I'm thinking as we become a church of influence, that we lean into the hard things of life. And we say things that will make our heads hurt. and And it makes us uncomfortable. Because God will not use you when you're comfortable. He comforts you as he uses you. I want you to hold on to that. God is not concerned with your comfort. He's concerned with your character and your availability to be used by him. So this week, we're gonna talk about God and justice. And this is like one of those talks that, well, I wrote it, and it's kinda of like, I thought it was gonna be the never-ending sermon preparation. I kept throwing extra jalapenos in the beans. And even last night, as I was sitting on the front row, I was Scott leaned over, and Scott Tidwell leaned over, So what are you doing? I said, I'm adding some to my sermon. He says, you preach forever already. Why are you adding stuff? It's because I just really wanna share with you What I think God wants you to hear, and it's a sacred trust. And last week we looked at God's compassion and we said that God is compassion. And I sang that little piece that God is angry with the wicked every day. And that's true, God is angry with the wicked every day. And God's compassion does not negate his justice. God is a God of justice. And the one who's been wronged has been God. God has been offended. And God is a God of justice. But even his justice is measured with his compassion. Injustice moves God. He stands opposed to those who bring injustice upon others. Listen to this passage. This is out of Isaiah. The prophet Isaiah prophesying about future things. For the time has come to avenge my people. This is the Lord speaking through Isaiah to ransom them from their oppressors. I was amazed that no one intervened to help the oppressed, so I myself stepped in to save them with my strong arm and my wrath sustained me. I crushed the nations in my anger. I made them stagger and fall to the ground, spilling their blood upon the earth. Ah, That's a little harsh, wouldn't you think? And that's why people say, well, God, the Old Testament was, was mad and Jesus was soft. And God has not changed. He, he's immutable. He will not be quiet. And he moves throughout history. And his justice was measured by compassion. And even as he says those things, smashing the nations and bringing justice and their blood spilt upon the ground. I thought about this, that the loving, compassionate God would rather take a person into eternity than let them dwell on this land and posing injustice upon others. Because he's compassionate. Hmm. God is the justifier. There's none like him. He is the only one who could say what is just and unjust. Now, regardless of what you've thought of, that you say, well, I, I don't believe in this and I don't believe that and I don't believe in the other. And I, I thought about this. In fact, I thought about this in, this morning um, that uh, as Tara was reading that article to me, she said, should we count people who are, who are joining us online, the digital count? And I thought, well, if we counted them, people in the church would say, hey, just padding his ego. And then she said to me, do you think Sears counts Amazon? Do you think? So people matter. And that's like, like ignoring God and his justice is like arguing, or, or arguing about justing, is this just or this? It's like arguing about is water wet? Of course it is. God is a God of justice, and only he can determine what is just. And he reveals his justice to us. Where does he reveal it, y'all? Thank you, Scott Tidwell, through his word, through his word. Okay, so all of this, in his movement of justice, God longs to do this. Now, this is going to be encouraging for you, I hope, that he longs to bring his peace. That's what God longs to bring. God wants you to have peace. How do I know this? Because Jesus said this on the night he was betrayed. Peace I give to you, not as the world gives I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, nor let it be afraid. Jesus wants to give you peace. I can face most anything in life as long as I have peace. Are you with me? And that's the supernatural indwelling of God's Holy Spirit that brings peace to our hearts. The Hebrew word for that is shalom. Can you say shalom? Shalom Shalom back at you. Shalom. And shalom means this, and it's going to be up on the screen. The total state of peace, physically, relationally, spiritually, the absence of strife and injustice. Now, in Israel, they would greet you with shalom. And you would depart, and they would say shalom. Shalom. And so because the people in Israel long to live in shalom. Now, they live in a place of not shalom, uh, unshalom. That's uh, where they live because of the, of the strife in that world and the adversarial in that world. Uh, and those of you who went to Israel with me uh, this last year, you know what it's like to live in that tension. Uh, in fact, Tara and I are planning our next trip for next year. So if you're interested in going to Israel just uh, give us a holler. We'll have some information out. And those of you who've been, tell the other people how wonderful it was. They're nodding their heads and they're not saying anything. But I thought, thank you, thank you, Colonel. Yeah. So I thought about this and have I ever, I don't remember a time when I existed in Shalom. I don't. And as an adult, the periods of longing for Shalom are great. Where I had a total state of peace, I was at peace physically, I was at peace relationally, I was at peace spiritually, and there was absence of strife and injustice. I, I, I long. Wouldn't you like to have shalom in your life? Wouldn't you? That's none of you. Wouldn't you? Yeah, absolutely. Now I thought about this as I was giving Lily a bottle the other day. Lily's almost one. She'll be one on August the eleventh. I was holding her in my arms. And I was giving her a bottle. As she was drifting off into sleep, and I thought, that is shalom. And some of y'all, I need to give you a bottle and hold you into my arms, right? But you don't need formula in that bottle, just saying. You Baptist, right? I've been at a, a few places in the world that I really saw the need of shalom greatly. Israel was one of those places. Uh, I've been to the other places in the Middle East where strife was common, places in, the middle, in, the, in, in Central Asia where there was a form of religiosity called Islam that was not practiced, and strife and and, uh, debauchery was evident. Places in Indonesia, and Bali in particular, a beautiful land, where the people there live in poverty because 50% of their income goes to buying sacrifices to appease their gods. At every place, they have a house they built for their God. Outside their homes, they'd have this little house, and they said that's where their God lived, and they would give them food every day, and it would just rot on the street. And understanding that the priest, the Hindu priest, got paid for the people to make sure that they were okay with their false gods. And the only people profiting was the priest. Doesn't that sound interesting? But in places in Africa where they lived on 50 cents a day Tara and I flew into the Democratic Republic of Congo to Kinshasa. I took Tara with me. The way I got her to go was I promised we'd spend three days in Paris on the way home. <laughs> and that worked. And we got to Kinshasa, we landed at the airport, and it looked like a movie scene, like Escape from New York. It was an apocalyptic, bullet ridden, mortar hole ridden airport that you landed on a tarmac, you came down off the stairs, and you walked into the building. And then you prayed that there would be a deliverer there who would take you to a hotel room that had sketchy electricity and no running water. And the next morning, we got up and went to an airport, that inner, inner Africa airport, that we had to bribe the guard in order to get into the gate, had to bribe the ticket agent in order to get on the plane. It got on the plane that held 19 people, had a spare tire sitting in the middle of the aisle, and there was a chicken on board. And I looked at Terry and I grabbed her by the hand. I said, baby... It's been a great life. This is where it ends. Because I was convinced that we would crash somewhere down the spine of the Congo River as we flew from Kinshasa down to Balma, only to encounter the Church of the Living God in Balma, where thousands of pastors walked for two days to come and be trained. Amazing. Place needed shalom. And the Church of the Living God was there. I've been to places in Southeast Asia where I had conversations with parents whose sons were recruited to go fishing. And then after the fishing season was over, the people who recruited them, instead of paying them, killed them and threw them overboard. Where young girls were promised a factory job only to be sold into the sex trade once they got to Phnom Penh. A place that needed shalom. A place on the border of Thailand and Cambodia called Palpet that was just unbelievable. Unbelievable and the atrocities to young girls and young children that needed shalom. I've been on the I-35 corridor here in Texas (laughs) that needs shalom real bad, y'all. But the thing about it, it's not just the traffic and the stupidity that abounds on the I-35 corridor. It's a hotbed of human trafficking where it's not just girls and children caught up in the sex trade, but the Ill- illegal immigration. That we have laws, and I'll talk about that in a little while, but it needs shalom. So this morning, I want to take a deeper look at God's justice and how God longs to bring shalom and what is our response to this. Let's pray. Father, thank you for what you want to say this morning, and I pray that you speak through me that will be my words or my thoughts, but Father, your truth that will lead us to steps of action that change our lives. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you're going to say. We pray this in your name. Amen. I want you to take out your notes. I want you to jot some things down. I'm going to give you some stuff that I did not put in my teaching notes that'll come up on the slide. So you're gonna need to kind of track with me and we'll read some things and give you some things that you're gonna wanna write down and wanna remember because I believe that God is doing something significant in this church called First Baptist Wimberley. Wouldn't you agree with that? That God is moving in a big time way and so we need to not be afraid. And I, this is something I have to applaud you. I, I wanna thank Mike Stevens for last week of recognizing our anniversary you have absorbed an amazing amount of change in this last year. And I am so proud of you. I brag about you everywhere. I said, who would think that a 134-year-old girl would learn how to dance? And y'all are, you're dancing, all for Jesus. And so, but we just got started, y'all. I'm planning on aggravating y'all a long time, okay? And so we just got started. But let's look at this, this thought, about who God wants us to be. First thing, God desires for justice to bring about shalom. When God moves in justice, it's to bring peace behind it. It's not to elevate his ego, it's not to, to do something that benefits him. God longs to benefit us because God is the great lover. God is love. He demonstrates himself through love. His love motivates his compassion, which moves to his justice. When God says, this ought not to be, he steps in to make it as it should be. And there's so many things in this world that break the heart of God. And we sing these songs, we sing, break my heart for what breaks yours, and we just lie. But God wants to move to bring shalom, that perfect state of peace. Listen to what God says to the prophet Isaiah in chapter 61. Now, Isaiah 61 has been my life verse for some 26 years. And the last part of Isaiah 61, as I was reading this, it really sparked this whole thought of God and justice. Listen to what he says. For I, the Lord, I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. I hate it. I will faithfully reward my people after their suffering and make an everlasting covenant with them. Their descendants will be recognized and honored among the nations for everyone will realize that they are the people the Lord has blessed. Now read that you think, okay, what's this? The love of justice compels God to move. It compels him to move. And there is no peace without justice. Now, this passage reveals that God's people were the people who were a people of Shalom, people who God wanted to move in their lives. Now, who are God's people? Let me tell you this, okay? Now, some of y'all are going to go, whoa, 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 whoa. Relay, oh, he's replacement theology. The people of God are the people who've yielded their life to God, to Jesus Christ. Have you got that? That's who we are. Now, listen. Who can become a person of God? Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord. That's why it's it's so important we share our hope with everyone because everyone is a potential person to be a person of God. Are you with me? That God is the God who loves people and he invites them in. Now, we live in an unjust world. I think you would agree with that. And I want to share with you some things that are that are gonna just shock you. Uh, there's 27 million slaves in the world today, more slaves than ever in human history. Slavery was abolished in the United States in the 1860s. Slavery was abolished in Great the Kingdom of Great Britain in the 1830s. But slavery is still alive and well in both nations. Well, you say, well, Scott, there there are no slaves in the United States. really you look at migrant workers you look at the shadow economy of illegal immigration and you tell me there's not a slave force here that are underserved and live in a shadow economy you say well Scott most of the slavery happens in other countries and we shouldn't be concerned about the countries of the world we should be concerned about here in fact I hear this a lot pastor I wish you'd quit talking about the world because there's too much to do right here And you know what I say? That's selfish and unbiblical. Let me tell you why. When Jesus said, You shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then the ends of the earth, he didn't say in Jerusalem, then Judea, then Samaria, then the ends of the world. He said, And. And. In Jerusalem, and in Judea, and in Samaria, and in the ends of the world. God wants us to care about the world here and now. My friend Bob Roberts, who's a pastor up in the Dallas Metroplex, he says God is a glocal God. Global and local. He's glocal. And he is. And it starts here. In fact, God's justice, get this, let me tell you a secret, let me tell you a secret. It starts with you. You being made right because you can't bring justice unless you've been justified. <clears throat> now, I know that our, comp- our government has laws about immigration. I do. And I support our government. In fact, I'm gonna read some things about our government in just a minute. And I think those, those laws should be enforced. But let me tell you this. The church has a responsibility to love people. To love people. And some of you are going, he's lost his mind. No, I haven't. God is speaking to our hearts. The promise of Jesus in Isaiah 9 is the promise of shalom. Listen to this. The people who walk in darkness have seen a great light, and those who dwell in the land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. Does that sound like maybe us today? We live in a land of darkness, a deep darkness, a light is shown. You have, you have multiplied the nations. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as the joy at the harvest. They are glad when they, they divide the spoils for the yoke of their burden and the staff of their shoulder, the rod of the oppressor. You have broken it as in the day of Midian. And when Isaiah was talking about the day of Midian, he was talking about what Gideon responded to the Midianites who came to oppress the people of Israel. And God used a handful of people, 300 men, to break the yoke of the oppressor. Uh, while we were in Israel, we, we got to see Gideon Springs, where the, the 300 drank water. It's pretty awesome. Pretty awesome. And he, he the, re, now listen to this. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and the peace, there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom, he'll establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do it. I liked what one translation said, The God of heaven's armies will do it. And of course, we read that and we read that at Christmas time, don't we? And we read that, Isaiah 9: For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. We talk about Messiah. Listen, Jesus has come. And with his coming, he brings shalom. He brings shalom. Job 29 gives us a view of how we should respond to the action of God in justice. Listen to what Job said about himself. All who heard me praised me, and all who saw me spoke well of me. For I satisfied the poor in their need and the orphans who required help. I helped those without hope, and they blessed me. And I caused the widow's heart to sing for joy. Everything I did was honest. Righteousness covered me like a robe. And justice like a turban. I had justice as a hat, Job was saying. I served his eyes for the blind and feet for the lame. I was father to the poor and assisted strangers who needed help. I broke the jaws of the godless oppressor and plucked their victims from their teeth. Now you read this about Job, and I don't understand the book of Job. I, I systematically read through the Bible. I started Genesis and I read through the entire Bible. I'm in the minor prophets right now. There's nothing minor about those prophets, only they're short, but they're very to the point. And, and, and I get to the book of Job, I just want to skip it, because it's a depressing book to me. You know, Job loves God, and he shews evil, and he does the right thing, and God allows Satan to just punk him. Satan's a punk, y'all. Did you know that? He's just a punk, and he punks Job, and And I don't understand it, but one thing I do understand, reading the book of Job, I know this about God. I know that God is not into karma. I know that. Job does not get what he deserves. Job gets what he does not deserve, yet he is faithful. God rewards faithfulness. In spite of our circumstances, God says be faithful because he is faithful. And he wants you to have his character. And I read the book of Job and I read this about God, and I notice that God used a person to bring justice, and that person was Job, and that person, Job, had the heart of God. Therefore, I should have the heart of God, and I should be a person of justice. Tara was reading statistics to me this morning again. And she said, in the state of Texas, there's over five hundred thousand children who need a place to live. That's a lot. And maybe the church should be actively involved in adoption and orphan care and fostering. Wouldn't it be great that if the state no longer needed orphanages or retention centers because the church stepped up and said, we got this? How wonderful for children to be in homes of people who love Jesus and love kids. Is that too much to ask? Now, some of you are thinking, yeah, we ought to do that. And you know very well you're not going to come to me because I'll put you in charge of it. (laughs) And maybe some of your hearts are beating fast right now and say, yeah, I need to be in charge of it. You know what I say? Giddy up. Let's go. And I realize that governments are in place to bring justice. But the church of the living God is the hope of the world, not the government of the United States. Listen to what Paul said. This is a rather long passage, and it's not on the screen. So I want you just to listen and listen to what God's saying. Let every person, this is Paul writing to the Romans, who were probably the most bellicose government of history. The Romans were brutal. There was nothing kind about them. Their government was based on authoritarian, dictator, crazy people, megalomaniacs. And this is what Paul wrote about this government. Let every person be subject to the government authorities. For there's no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For ruler's not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear for the one who, has, who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive the approval, for, for he is God's servant for your good. If you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain." for he's a servant of God, and the adventurer carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you should also pay taxes. What? For the authorities and ministers of God attending to this very thing, pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes were owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect those who respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. So as Christians, we should be law-abiding citizens, Paul is saying, not anarchists. We're to influence, not politically, but radically through love. Radically through love. That doesn't mean we shouldn't be involved in politics, but radically in love. I heard Pastor Rick Ward say this recently, I would never step down from the highest calling in my life to be a pastor of a local church to become president of the United States. Being a pastor of a local church is more important than being president. Whew, that's a big statement. A big statement, because the local church is the hope of the world. You see, in order to bring God's shalom, we have to fall in line with what God has established. Now, let me go on with this. We bring God's peace, and God has a plan for his peace. It's called the peace plan. I, I, want, I want to say this to you, okay? As the local church, as this church, we could stop giving away our responsibilities to parachurch organizations and take responsibilities for the things God has assigned us. We have to take responsibility. And we do it through peace. So I want you to write on, on your paper on, and vertically, P-E-A-C-E, P-E-A-C-E, because I want you to write these things down, because I want you to know them. P-E-A-C-E. The P stands for We will be people who plant churches, who partner with churches, and who promote reconciliation with churches. So we plant, partner, and promote. Plant, partner, and promote. To start new churches where new churches are needed, to partner with churches that are struggling, and to promote reconciliation. Last week, do y'all remember I talked to you about the Catholic priest who said they want to come for training? You remember that? They emailed me this week. They're coming September 17 through 19. So you see me at Papa Who's with some priests. You know what's going on. Or at Creekside Cookers. If barbecue can't convert you, nothing can. (laughs) That you know what we're up to, and we're to be promoting reconciliation. Now, some of y'all say, our pastor's going to become a priest. No, I'm not. Just relax. But those priests might become something else. That's all for Jesus to figure out. But we're going to promote that reconciliation, a movement of God. E stands for equipping leaders. Now, we're to to be subject to our government, but our government often fails. Why does our government fail? Corruption. Why are they corrupt? Because they're egocentric leaders. How can you correct egocentric leaders? You train them to have biblical principles. You equip leaders. We're going to Cuba... And we're going to bring God's peace because we're going to plant, partner, promote and we're going to equip leaders. We're going to equip leaders. Y'all, there's not many things I can do in this world. I I can't. I can't dance. I can sing a little bit. I can't fix anything broken in your house. I will never be a carpenter's helper (laughs) because this carpenter needs a helper. But I can train leaders. I can train pastors. I can do that. Why can I do that? Because of divine enablement, because God has made me this way. I could do that. I could run my mouth. I could do that. I could equip leaders. The A stands for assist the poor. Assist the poor. Well, so that's me. That's no, not. Let me tell you why. Because if you have something to eat or access to something to eat, if you have a change of clothing, if you have an access to transportation, if you have an access to health care, if you have a place to sleep, that's out of, the, out of the weather. You're in the upper 1% of the world's wealthiest people. That's everybody in this room. To assist the poor. There's a local church who joined with a, church, a, a, a group of local churches in Rwanda, and through this plan of assisting the poor, they've lifted a million people out of poverty. And the nation of Rwanda actually has a middle class now. Which is unprecedented for Africa. Because in Africa, you either have it all or you have nothing. And the ones that have it all do not want the people who have nothing to have anything. And as God brings peace, he brings people out of poverty. And they did it by teaching them how to save and how to start saving groups. And how to loan each other money and how to assist one another. The local church. The C is care for the sick. It's not a sin to be sick, but it's a sin not to care for the sick. Remember the passage I read last week? Jesus on that last day said, I was sick and you visited me. You cared for me. This same local church who reached into the country of Rwanda asked the pastors of the church in Rwanda, give me two people from your church that I could train to be healthcare providers. And these major United States-trained health care providers went over to this little country in Rwanda, and they trained two people from each church how to provide basic health care and instructions on, on nutrition and hygiene and, and medicine distribution and, and basic triage care. And they taught them how to do that. And then the church became the clinic for the nation. Before this happened, there were two hospitals in the nation of Rwanda, and there were three clinics. For 11 million people, within one year, there were 3,600 clinics sponsored by the local church, and now Rwanda is leading Africa in healthcare. What? Except for South Africa, oh, because a local church. And there are fewer cases in Rwanda of AIDS than there is in the state of Maryland. Sicknesses are killing little children all over the country, all over the world. Things like malaria that's been cured, and waterborne illnesses. And instead of digging a well for a company, a, a country, or a, a community, why not teach them how to dig their well and how to maintain it? I had a friend of mine who was an oilfield guy, who uh, designed a well drilling apparatus that he could pack in three suitcases. He went to Nigeria, he unpacked it, he trained the Nigerians how to, how to use it and how to build another one, and he left them with the economy of drilling wells and providing water. Now, if you meet this guy, you'd think he was dumb as a stick. He wore overalls all the time. But he is smart. And he loved Jesus, he loved people. Care for the sick to provide clean water. And the E is stand, it stands for Education of the Future Generations to lead into children and help them with illiteracy. Education is power. As God uses people and he brings them up, it's amazing how education chases away the silliness and the nonsense of superstitions of religions that are false in the world. Wow. I wrote this this morning because I didn't talk about it last night. Every one of you in this room can fit into one of these teams. Every one of you in this room. we well, you say, well, Scott, I, I can't equip leaders and I can't assist the poor and I can't care for the sick and I can't educate future generations. I can't do that. I'm too old. I'm, you know, I've got one foot in the grave and the other on a banana peel and I'm too old. Let me tell you what you can do. You can do the P. You can promote reconciliation through prayer. Prayer is the weapon that tears down strongholds. Hmm. This church could be known as a church of peace, of shalom. You see, because Jesus is the justifier. Therefore, since we've been made right with God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus our Lord has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into the place of undeserved privilege. And now we stand. We are confidently and joyful. Look forward to sharing God's glory. You see, we've, been, we've offended God. Every one of us have offended God. But he's justified us by his death. We cannot make ourselves right. So Jesus has made us right by his death. And because we've been made right with God, we bear his image of shalom. Have you been justified by Christ we've been given this assignment of bringing God's justice you know what I'm just going to stop because I feel like I've said enough and I don't do that to be sensational but I realize I'm reading the rest of this and I realize there's only one thing left to say and it's found in the book of Micah 6 8. And it says this He has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you. But that you, do just, you do justice and you love kindness and you walk humbly with your God. This is what's required of you that you do justice. You love kindness. And You do, do justice and love kindness. And you walk humbly. And I look at that word humbly. What does that mean? Humility in the Bible means this. I put aside my rights and my privileges, my comfort and my convenience for my King Jesus. And I walk humbly with my God. Will we be that church?